passion, drive, and patience. What brings home the winning trophy is also what keeps your ride or die alive. eBay Motors is everything you need to maintain your vehicle and level it up to peak performance. From superchargers, roof racks, exhaust kits, LED lights, and more, whether you're into speed, power, or style, eBay Motors has you covered. With over 122 million parts for your number one ride or die, you'll always find exactly what you're looking for. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, your part is guaranteed to fit your ride every time or your money back. Because with eBay Motors, you're burning rubber, not cash. With all the parts you need at the prices you want, it's easy to turn your car into the MVP and bring home that win. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. And we are live, everybody. Welcome to this week's Cafe Hangout. It's John Pollock and Wei Ting. And unlike most weeks, we have a third man here in the studio with us. A guy that I could tell from his nod gave the opening Cafe Hangout theme a seal of approval. Uh, a pleasure to welcome Evan Husney into the program to join us to chat. Uh, dark side of the ring, Evan. Thank you so much. Joining us in studio, no less. You already win huge points with the, uh, the postmarks out there. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks so much, man. I'm so happy to be here with you guys. Uh, awesome. There's lots to chat with uh, uh, with, with you about. Uh, yeah. Of course, uh, lots coming up on the show today. We're also going to be opening up the phone lines. Uh, we want to hear from many of you if you want to uh, chime in about uh, your thoughts about uh, Dark Side of the Ring. And we'll be getting to all the other news items later on in the show. The number to call 732-800-4423. You can also Skype in by searching for Post Wrestling. Uh, but Evan, uh, you are here in Toronto, not originally from Toronto, but this has kind of become your makeshift home where a lot of Dark Side of the Ring is be- being created that some people might not be uh, familiar with. Yeah, that's true. Uh, yeah, uh, Vice uh, Canada is the production company for Dark Side of the Ring. They picked up the tab when we first started. So I've uh, relocated here on and off for the better part of three years producing the show from the beginning. So we're coming off of the announcement of season two. The trailer just dropped and it's going to be coming back on Tuesday night, March 24th. You're coming back with a two hour season premiere uh, based around Chris Benoit. Mm -hmm. Um, But tell us just a few days removed from the announcement. Obviously, like (laughs) so much of your life goes into this second season. But what's the response been like? Is your head just spinning several days removed from the announcement? Well, yeah, I mean, because it's I mean, like the response has been awesome. It's it's so cool to uh, see, you know, just how stoked people are and. Um, how many people have seen the show even since season one aired, and how many new fans we have? Um, but yeah, obviously it's it's a little uh, it's been it's been a little crazy because we're still making the show. <laughs> you know, we're still actively finishing like the better part, like like the back half of the show. So it's the first time we've had to kind of like you know deliver shows to air as we're airing. So um, the pressure is on. <laughs> what were the different kind of pressures going into season one where this is an unfamiliar entity and there's that question, is the show going to hit? Is yeah. is it different this time? Because you guys have put forward a, a very successful first season. It's kind of like, yeah, like a band doing their second record, I guess, you know, you, you know, like we had a good first record, um, but we didn't know like what it, we didn't, we were still kind of making it and didn't know what it would ultimately become. And also I think, you know, in some ways, not to their fault, but like, you know, Viceland, you know, wrestling isn't a huge part of their DNA. So they didn't really know what the response was going to be. And so like their investment level was only so much. And then, you know, we kind of proved ourselves in a big way. And so then now it's like, there's a whole set of you know more more people looking at the show and wanting to you know help out with the show and stuff so there's just all these new kind of pressures but it's it's but in, in a lot of ways on the flip side of that 
working with wrestlers and other people for these stories. Now a lot of these people have seen the show, which we didn't have that before. So before it was like, yeah, we're doing this show and it's about wrestling, but they didn't really fully understand. And now a lot of people know it by name in terms of the people in that community. So it helped us with access, I think, a lot this year, more so than before. From what I was able to gather, it seemed to create the like overshoot expectations when when it was airing on Vice. Um, can you look, maybe take us back to like you know after that first week, what what hmm. your reaction was like and what the reaction was like at Vice? You know to to see this like thing kind of come out of nowhere and be what it was. It, is it correct me if I'm wrong? Is it the most viewed thing on yeah Viceland? Yeah, it is. Yeah, it is. Um, I mean, yeah, that was that was pretty wild because it was we were kind of like we weren't really sure like when the show would like, we're like when season one would air because we had finished it, we had delivered it. It was off into the world and they were kind of playing around with different dates of when it was going to come out. And we didn't really actually find out it was going to go on the air until two weeks before it did. (laughs) So, and we didn't have like any marketing materials ready. So like it was a mad dash to do that as well. But so it was, I think it was a huge surprise for everyone. I mean, me, I knew that as long as we could get the word out to the wrestling community, like, they would show up for it mm-hmm. um, because you just don't see television documentaries about wrestling all that often. And so uh, when it did hit and it kept growing, I think, I mean, everybody was super surprised, you know, it seems like the natural progression as well, that like wrestling fans, like it's, they crave like information and these stories. But a lot of the time it's like, they would take it in any medium they could like just mm-hmm. throw on a camcorder <laughs> and listen to a guy talk for three hours there are people that w- would like live for those DVDs, and now it's like the level of expectation from a production standpoint is that much higher. And I think that that's now kind of um, the new expectation level is seeing something that is very, very slick in its production. That um, was was certainly something that you you guys were able to present to the audience. Oh, well, thanks. Yeah, I mean, those shoot interviews you're talking about, all those like Ramada in, you know, shoot interviews, those were what we saw and we loved as fans and were like, wouldn't it be so cool if you like took the shoot interview concept and you blew it out to be like the most important thing ever, you know? <laughs> and like right. and that's really where it started. It was like, let's what if we gave like this you know, like, like shiny, you know, sleek, true crime vibe to a shoot interview, like high production value. And that's kind of what it what, just how it started. <laughs> so when you, um, like, were you a wrestling fan when you mm-hmm. started? Like, you were the one who pitched it to Vice? And- yeah, Jason and I, uh, and just for those who don't know, Jason Eisner is, does the show with me. He directs the episodes and I produce. We kind of both do a lot of stuff. We've known each other forever, um, almost like separated at birth. Uh, we both um, are huge wrestling fans growing up. So for me, it was like five years old, you know, early, like l- like 1990, 91 WWF era, you know, for me. And then, and then of course, it always ebbs and flows. And then, like, I got into other things as a kid, and then Attitude Era came around. And, uh, you know, that was, you know, I was wore a different wrestling shirt to school every day and mm. got, bought bootleg ECW VHS tapes from my local mall and stuff. There was an RF video stand at our local mall, which is pretty cool. Wow. Yeah, I know. It was really weird. Yeah. Uh, and, yeah, and then just, like, always been a part of my life, like, in and out, you know? And then, like, I think right around the time we pitched the show, like, I just got back into it. It, it, it sounds <clears> weird because of giving your your current position right now but but how in you know just as a consumer are you right now to what's happening yeah i mean not so much like in the last couple of months (laughs) just because we've been like so crazy trying to finish everything but like definitely um have been following pay-per-views uh i've had the opportunity to go to a few of like the marquee aew pay-per-views not the last one but some of the ones before that Mm -hmm. like all the like the like launching ones 
and just yeah, it's been amazing just to see like how since last year almost it mm-hmm. felt like it just really took off. You know, wrestling just exploded in a big way on TV and everywhere. So these stories that you used for season one were all stories that you had, I would assume, know, known about through your fandom. Yeah. And how did you go about choosing those specific ones for that series? Yeah. Um, basically, it all started, just to go back a little bit, it all started with just wanting to do a documentary about Bruiser Brody. That was like the first thing. Like we we wanted to, Jason and I really wanted to do like a wrestling documentary with Vice. That was like my goal. And I just saw it. Maybe we could do like a feature length Bruiser Brody thing because we had just gotten into him. We didn't know him as kids really, but we just got into him because he's like the coolest thing ever. And the story is so unbelievable. And so we just pitched that as a, as a feature doc. And then of course we get the question of, can you, can this be a series? What other stories going to be? And then it was like, okay, well, what if we, you know, and then we started looking at other stories and then, um, originally we were supposed to do 10 for season one and it actually got shortened. There's actually a couple episodes for this season, season two, that are holdovers from that we had Mm. like partially done. So they were partially shot. They were partially shot going into season two. Yeah. And so, um, anyway, to pick, going back to picking the stories, it was just kind of like what could hold an hour what stories kind of check the boxes of like that kind of blurred lines between like, you know, reality and fiction and kind of look at that. That's the most interesting to me is kind of like wrestling stories that really are unique to that world. They couldn't be in any other sport, any other form of entertainment is like that kind of blurred lines aspect, the cave babe kind of thing, you know? So we kind of tried to look at stories that really exemplify that. Some that like new audience, people who aren't wrestling fans could get into like the Montreal Screwjob or Macho Man mm-hmm. or whatever. And then like deep cut ones like Gino Hernandez or whatever that like wrestling fans want to know more about, you know, so it's kind of trying to do a mixture of both. And that had to be encouraging for you guys because you come out of the gate with, with Macho Man, with with Montreal that yeah. you think are going to have the, the widest appeal, but you just saw the audience continue to escalate yeah. for the Von Erics. Yeah. And then it, it mm-hmm. to me, those were the episodes where it's like you, you guys have hit onto something and there is a fan base out there that it doesn't just have to be nostalgia WWF stories. Right. It can be wi- wide ranging. And the Von Erich one, I think, was uh, uh, among people's most yeah. favorite of that f- first season, which again, to an outsider, a story that you just it's impossible to process without watching it. And like, this is an yeah. actual series of events. Yeah, I know. I know. Yeah. And, and that was kind of the thing. It was, it was like, like, can we have a mixture of stories that can, that can help, you know, some, we, we always tried to engineer the show for people who don't know anything about any of this. That's what we tried. We tried to not make it seem too insider. We tried to make it have broad appeal, like no matter what. And we felt like some of the popular episodes, like helped people understand aspects of like what makes wrestling unique and the backstage politics especially with like screw job and then so then we could go places with gino and von erics and then people would be with us and they would be like okay yeah now now i'm into it you know without sort of that you know track record uh now i, I mean season two you have season one to show people but yeah. when you're shooting season one how do you earn people's trust to, to get like <laughs> the, some of the incredible interview intimate interviews that you did end up getting and, and with uh, with all due respect with the title dark side of the ring <laughs> well that, it didn't have that, that title before um <clears throat> yeah what was the original title we just had like a op like a like a temporary operating title just to put on paperwork mm-hmm. which was the squared circle or something or squared circles like our just working title we never had the intention of using that title. And the funny thing about the title is we could not come up with a name. It was the hardest thing to come up with a name for the show until my mother came up with Dark Side of the Ring. Oh, really? <laughs> yeah, yeah. I was like, Mom, what do we do? And, and she actually she said Dark Mom Side of the Ring. Best. And Mom 
figures it out. Yeah, my mom came up with the title. My dad writes a lot of our voiceover, so it's like really? a family affair. Yeah. Wow, oh, that's, that's, really, cool. <laughs> that's very cool. Are they yeah. wrestling fans or no? Uh, well, they've had to grow up with me being wrestling fans. <laughs> my dad actually got me to meet Stone Cold Steve Austin when I was a kid. No kidding. Which wow. was amazing. There's actually a video there, of it. There's, this is on YouTube. I actually yeah. saw You've seen it? it? Yes. Wow. Okay, yeah. I got to my very first shoot interview. I got to actually ask him. He didn't know there was a camera on him, but I got to ask him like, what he thinks of Bill Goldberg. Because this was 1998. Yeah. I was like, so what do you think of Bill Goldberg? And he's like, oh, I think he's doing a good job of copying me, but you know, <laughs> he's got to make a living too or something. Like, you know, you but could have sold that to Meltzer in 98 or something. <laughs> anyway. But, but yeah, like trying to get those interviews for the first Oh, season. yeah. Sorry. Um, yeah. I mean, obviously it was tough. I mean, <clears throat> you know, like we started, you know, what actually bought us a lot of cred was the fact that we did a Bruiser Brody episode, okay. um, which was the pilot. Um, we didn't send it around necessarily to people, but we had a trailer that we showed people and there was so much respect in the wrestling community, like among wrestlers, but for him Mm -hmm. that it was like, literally, I I remember calling, talking to Bret Hart on the phone and being like, you know, we want to do the Montreal screw job. It was like, I've said everything I've already wanted to say, you know, or whatever. And it's like, you know, whatever. But I said, (laughs) well, yeah, (laughs) well in 97, no. And then, and I said like, no, uh, well, we, we, we did this story about Bruiser Brody. We talked to his, you know, we talked to his widow. We did this. And then, then he went into a story about what Brody meant to him. And he's like, all right, I'll do it. You know? And then, so it became this, like our calling card in a big way because people respected him so much. Mm. And, but still there's other instances with like family members. Gino Hernandez episode was really tough because the family, you know, was in belief of living in fear for their lives at the time by speaking out because they thought that he was murdered by the mob, mm. you know? So it was like, I, 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 I had flown down there with no cameras and spent a day with them and trying to just, you know, we're a non-threatening entity. Let's do this together. And, but yeah, so it's all across the board. It was just, that's one, probably the hardest part of making the show is getting the access really. And was there a noticeable difference uh, this time around when you're going to people, they've, they've seen the proof of concept. They're familiar with the series. You actually have examples you can show mm-hmm. them of th- this is kind of what we're working towards instead of a, of an idea in your head to try and convey. Yeah. I think there's a case by case basis still with some some folks um but i think it was definitely across the board much easier there was like a shorthand there that like we could we could we could point to like you're saying um but like you know some of the fam other family members or some of the things you know um like there's some like i mean if we're talking about the benoit episodes like i don't know if i could have done that just on my own you know like we had you know chavo guerrero you know helped us in such a immense way to get people involved for that project and and uh, of course, with you know, with Martha we get to talk about as well, you know, was was a process, but it was awesome, you know, working with her on the Benoit one, which mm-hmm. is what you're going to kick off the season with. Sure. Do you feel it, it helped you that we are now 13 years coming up removed from this? Because I, I remember at the time, even several years after, it just was a subject that people I would talk to in the industry, like they just they really didn't want to touch it. Like they just yeah. it was too raw and it was to it whether they had personal connections to benoit or just felt that it was th- th- this stain against the industry that this that the industry gets blamed for for this guy as well and i think with the separation of time it's you know you can go revisit that and it's you, you look at that 2007 period and just uh, um, imagine like in this day and age in the era of, of tmz and twitter yeah how, how that case is oh, handled today it's probably much different much different much different yeah that's kind of one of many reasons why we wanted to do it was just because of uh like uh of hindsight now and how how we can look at it in today's world but also i think 
what drew us to want to do that episode was um, not only was it something that the audience really wanted to see, you know, that was the top by a large margin. When we asked people last year on social media, what do you want to see? That was clearly number one. But the thing um, for me was like noticing other interviews that, you know, um, that uh, Sandra Toffolani, who's, you know, Nancy's sister, um, you know, Chavo Guerrero Jr., Chris Jericho, mm -hmm. those th like seeing and hearing their interviews over the past few years in terms of just like trying to get it off their chest and wanting to wanting to talk about it, wanting to revisit it now that some time has gone by in an effort to kind of bring more closure for, for, for their own stories. That's kind of what was appealing to me in a way to try to cover the story mm. where it's like, we've known, we know details, we know the, you know, the, some of the bullet points, but now let's, let's make it kind of about the people that are still here. And so that's more or less the way in which you'll see that it's kind of approached is more about that. Who, you know? who, who else is featured in this episode? Um, so, uh, well, Chavo Guerrero Jr., uh, whom we had been talking for all, over a year before we shot anything for it. So he had been, he's a huge part of it. Um, there's, uh, David Benoit, uh, Chris's other son from another marriage, uh, Sandra Toflani, as I mentioned, uh, Vicky Guerrero is in the episode, uh, Chris Jericho is in the episode, Dean Malenko is in the episode. Wow. Um, God, am I forgetting somebody? And you got Dean, I would assume after... I mean, he left WWE. Yeah. 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 And Dean, you know, it's just, yeah, part of that circle. And then it, it just like, as more, as more subjects came aboard, it just really was felt like, okay, now we have this inner circle of the people who kind of were touched by this. I mean, not everyone, but a lot of people from different perspectives. And so I think that's going to be the most interesting thing for people to see is just that it's, it really does feel like this is the inside, inside circle telling their story, mm. you know? Mm. Uh Going back to just the, the beginning of the series, is it ever even broached about trying to secure footage from WWE or is it a realization from the get-go that that's not going to be a door that's going to open? Yeah, I mean, I mean, basically, we just, you know, as Vice being a media company, you know, we just approach it in that way. Like, you know, we're doing journalistic studies from mm -hmm. this and, and it needs to be objective. And so that's kind of the, the way that it's approached. I think it's probably yeah. best that way. Yeah. With, with the idea of like the, the reenactments. I mean, yeah. that's one where... You know, it can. It, it certainly it could go good. It could go bad. I was. <laughs> I didn't really know how it how it would turn out. But it seems like it was something that here here was a way around. You know, footage that we can't have that you know was able to enhance a lot of very this. tastefully done. Oh, thank you. Yeah. Yes, yeah. I mean, the thing with the reenactments was just like it actually came from. I I, I think we were talking about it before we went on the air. It was like there's a film called um, The Thin Blue Line, which is like this the seminal '80s true crime documentary. It's kind of the benchmark of true crime documentaries. And the reenactments in that are so stylistic, noir, just mm. like atmospheric, nightmarish. It's they're amazing, and that's what we wanted to try and emulate as much as possible. More so, not because of the absence of footage, but just because the absence of telling stories where there wouldn't be any footage at all, mm. like just you know locker room stuff, car rides, and hotel rooms and things, and also just to kind of make it feel more cinematic, mm -hmm. you know. And that's what we wanted to do with these stories because they are so cinematic. These wrestling stories are unlike anything, as everyone knows, you know, in wrestling. So um, that was kind of the idea. It was just to kind of enhance it as much as possible. They're not the easiest things to make. <laughs> but Well, I was going to ask you. Like, I mean, it would seem incredibly fun to have like a bunch of people dress up as like your favorite wrestlers trying to shoot these things. But but was it also stressful? Yeah, it, it can be stressful because, you know, 
uh, you, you, we have a limited pool in terms of what we can achieve and who we can get. And these people are so iconic. Some of them are like the Randys and the, and the less like the road warriors or like other people, you know, like they're so iconic and like, you know, you have to, you want to live up to that. You don't want to let people down and like, Oh, that guy, you know, but obviously there's a lot of smoke and mirrors and there's a lot of shadows and you know, you can get away with a lot. It'd be funny if people actually saw photos of what they look like. You know, like before the, <laughs> the reveal dark, at the, the end, the dark side of the treatment or dark side of the ring treatment, because people would probably be like, I don't know, man. Yeah, <laughs> we've gotten away with a lot of a lot of cheats as you're diving into and in some cases, some, some very sensitive topics. Have, have there ever been those, those late night phone calls from an interview subject of like, uh, I, I don't know what I said on camera. You can't use that huh. or any of the, the, like things you have to navigate from people that they just. Um, oh, yeah. You know, they'll be very open on camera and then afterwards are, you know, fearful in their head of how they'll be portrayed, for instance. Of course. I mean, that that's happened a lot, even in this show and other shows and things. It's, you know, when you, anytime you're dealing with a story, uh, sometimes as, as raw as some of the ones that we are dealing with, especially this season, you know, yeah, you know, there, there's always going to be that. But like, you know, for us, it's like we we always have their best interest in mind. Like we, we're, you know, especially with the more sensitive stories, like it's, you know, we're telling your story. You know, um, and, 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 you know, wrestlers and wrestling has had a, a very difficult history with media. Mm-hmm. You know, we look at, we actually examine that with, uh, the, uh, Dr. D David Schultz episode. And, you know, so I think a lot of those, uh, there is that kind of stigma, like, you know, to, to where you wouldn't normally trust, uh, us, you know, in our position, but, you know, we're such huge marks that like, you know, we want to just put, we want to put everybody over. We want to try to, you know, like so. <laughs> uh, talk about some of the other uh, subjects you have coming up in season two. Okay. Yeah. So, um, we started, like I mentioned two episodes last season, which we so grateful we got to finish, uh, was the uh, Dino Bravo story, mm-hmm. uh, uh, which is about, you know, the, uh, he, he was killed, um, and his family came home to find him. And it's a very sad story. And after and it's his... never really been told like in, in serious detail, yeah. like outside of, you know, if, unless you were reading like the torch of the observer, like, yeah, like I, I don't think many people are, you know, t- certainly not yeah. a deep dive into it. Yeah, no, exactly. And, and so that was one we'd, we'd got a chance to really get into last year. Um, and so it kind of explores his involvement, uh, in that and, and that whole story, his post, his post wrestling, uh, <laughs> um, I didn't Very mean, nice. that was not an intentional pun, all the time. but his post wrestling career. Um, and, um, and, uh, one of the, one of the more odd duck episodes that we're doing, uh, this season is the brawl for all, which we had started last year. Um, which, you know, was more like we wanted to do something that was maybe more on the lighter side of the ring, um, you know, and then try to do something with that, even though there are, there are, you know, dark aspects of that story, but uh, it's more of a fun one. Well, having, having a one-eyed guy in, in PCO can compete oh in the, goodness. in the brawl. For, I mean, it's, it's, that's mentioned just an insane idea yeah. that it was and, and brought to fruition. And, and I guess as you're speaking to like an example being a Jim Cornette, are you, I guess, are you guys plotting out that this is a guy that man, he can be our glue between so many different stories that, <sighs> As a historian, like that's where um, some of these subjects, it's like they they go beyond just being needed for one episode. Oh my gosh, Jim Cornette is a is a night off. We'll say you know when you hear wrestlers talk about that, it's like uh, it's it's like you could give him anything. You could you could literally you, like we just look at like what can Jim talk about, you know, and it happens to be everything. But you know he's in about I think I think half of the episodes this season, but he's just. 
yeah, he just knows so much and he's so entertaining and, and, and he's been such a great asset in other ways and with our footage and rare photos and things and other people. And so, yeah, and we knew the brawl. It, actually, it was like Brawl for All and then getting Jim on it. Mm, okay, that, that'll be good TV. <laughs> um, so it, the trailer also it includes uh, the episode uh, that's going to be dedicated to Owen Hart. And yes. you got to speak with, with Martha Hart. That, yeah. To me, was like that, that, that was huge to be yeah. able to speak with her. Yeah, well, I mean, it was like, you know, uh, you had done the, the Owen Hart piece last year for the anniversary, which was which blew me away. I loved it. Thank you. And uh, it was like, it was just cool because it was like a bona fide like radio documentary. It was just like, it was great. And uh, I was kind of apprehensive about that being a story that we would do at first because I was like, how do we, how do we do this? Like, you know, and like, what's the story like in terms of like, I don't know. I guess I had, I hadn't known as many. I hadn't really known as many of the details as that you that you put in that piece. And when I heard it, I I I, I like saw it. Like I, I saw that. Like wow, this could be. Like we could do this, you know. But of course, it, it. I would only do it if we could get, you know, Owen's family on board. And so, it was a process of like reaching out and uh, and uh, it was amazing because 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 Martha responded to me uh, pretty quickly, and she basically sent me like ten questions. This is the only time this has ever happened. She she sent me ten questions that were so incredibly well thought out, like really really thoughtful questions about like you know you your show what you want to do what do you have in mind and all that stuff. Hmm. And I was like, and she's like, I'm gonna be traveling for two weeks. Take your time, take your time with it. And I was like, and I'm in my mind. I'm like, I'm I'm gonna write like an like a school essay. This is gonna be like an essay project. And so I did. I spent like two weeks like responding to this email like in detail like getting it all out there like what i wanted to do and that of course led to her uh inviting me out to calgary and we and we actually met no cameras Mm -hmm. and we just met and it was me her and oge her son and we just like had pizza together and it was amazing like we we like talked for hours and it was just like this is going to be great i felt good about it they felt good about it and then we just kind of put the wheels in motion and then we went up back out to Calgary. <laughs> yeah, it's yeah. you know I I've always felt like that Martha has just like not like she's just chosen to stay away from wrestling and and somehow it's been, it's been viewed at like in the in this negative way and I think like I know like yeah. you look into this and it's like man like look at what she lost here it's like I I don't think I, I'd have many positive you know thoughts about that that industry either and I think it's yeah it's often just looked at little things like. Owen Hart in a Hall of Fame. It's like, there's, mm-hmm. it's, it's a really small thing in the grand scheme of things in it comparison is. to like real life tragedy and it's how it affects true. a family much longer beyond how it affects a wrestling fan. Very, 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 very true. And that was one of the main reasons why I wanted, I, I, I was like, what is, not like what's our angle, but like what, what, what is like, you know, with, with Chris Benoit's story, it's like, okay, you know, it's about kind of the people that are still here that this affected. What's kind of the way we're going to look at this story again, if we're going to bring it back up again. And it really kind of was that where it was like, you wrote really for me, and I don't mean this like in an agenda sort of way or whatever, but you just kind of see like how people have in the wrestling world kind of treat her and her family. And I, I just didn't really feel like there's just like much understanding. And then I listened to your thing and then I'm I'm like reading her book and I'm like, whoa. Her book is, is fantastic. This if, is you, if you haven't wild. read it. Yeah, yeah, this is wild. It is. It's amazing. Broken hearts. Yeah. I was like, this is wild. And so um and so that was kind of the main thing was like, let's let's do the big piece where, you know, she puts basically what you know what happened what's chronicled in the book, let's have her tell her story. And 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 yeah, it's just it's wild. It's like it, 
you know, ultimately, like there was the, the settlement with the WWF, but mm-hmm. you know, you read Broken Hearts, like that's very much like if you want to see what the case would have been, like that's mm-hmm. what Broken Hearts is. It's just I remember reading that for the first time, and it's just yeah. such an emotional read to hear yeah. it in her words. Yeah. And I, I think sometimes there's that um, that separation that yeah. you, and, until you see it in her words, and I, I'm sure like your interview will very much yeah. con- convey that. I, I look forward to watching it. Yeah, 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 yeah. It's uh, it's uh, it's one that we're very passionate about, and uh, it's yeah, it's going to be great. Are, are you typically the one sitting down doing the interviews? Is it you and Jason? How does the interview process work? Yeah, it's typically me that does uh, most of the interviews uh, with everybody. Um, Jason is usually by my side, pulling focus and also asking questions here and there. He asks he 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 does run-ins with amazing questions, but uh, he and I basically kind of do everything together. Um, this year it was a little tricky. We got bottlenecked in terms of our workflow, so he had to go off the road for a little bit to make sure everything's running smoothly back at the home base. But, um, for the most part, yeah. Doing most of the interviews and, uh, yeah, it's been a lot now. <laughs> Over the, uh, some of the episodes of, of, of the previous season, I mean, you weren't necessarily just presenting the story that was already out there. In some cases you were actually adding on to the story mm. and finding new nuggets of information that hadn't been found before. Trying. Are, were there any instances of that in the second season? Yes. Yeah, definitely. Um, there's a couple of stories where, um, there's definitely some like, whoa moments for sure. For me, you know, who, who've researched a lot of these stories and felt like, you know, what else can you get out of this? And then like a couple curiosities, there's always going to be some, some, there, there, there'll be some new curious nuggets. I don't know what to call it. <laughs> that you'll find. We're the- getting an hour on Herb Abrams. I think yeah. that, that was the one, I think that was the one when people saw, like, you know, there's, there's subjects that, you know, maybe people could have guessed, but like Herb Abrams, I think that, that seemed to be the one that, that did get a lot of reaction when yeah. the, uh, the release came out this week. Yeah. I mean, I just have to mention it. It was not like when I, when I originally wanted to do this series um, and trying to, mine people I knew who knew a lot about wrestling about what story should we do? What story should we do? Um, I actually had reached out to Sean Oliver because I told you I was a shoot interview guy. Like I had all those, you know, and he's the kayfabe commentaries guy. And Sean had said to me from the very beginning, Herb Abrams, Herb Abrams, Herb Abrams. And I was like, all right. And I looked into it, but you couldn't really find much about him on the internet, at least at that time. So I was like, I don't know, whatever. I don't think so. You know, whatever. And then last year he does an interview with me and he puts me on the spot and he's like, uh, why didn't you do Herb Abrams? Why didn't you do this? Why didn't you do this? And I was like, oh man, you're right. And just everything he was saying was like made sense, you know? And I was like, yes. And so I went back to the office the next day and I was like, we're doing it. Everyone start working on it. Like, you know, figure it out. <laughs> and someone in our office, uh, his name is Howard. He works on our show. He, he just took, it's like his mega passion project is this episode. And he just took the ball and like ran with it and got all these amazing people to talk about Herb and it's it's gonna be a wild one so the the season it returns tuesday night march 24th it's uh 9 p.m is yeah. the the two-hour benoit episode and then uh this season you guys have, you're also introducing a talk show that's gonna follow it each <laughs> yeah. week i mean yeah if that's not uh support I yeah mean, that's uh, uh clearly a stamp of approval that this is uh our key show yeah we didn't expect that that was kind of a new thing that was that was uh you know we, we're not we're not necessarily producing it but they they said like uh hey we want to do this kind of like you know after show thing and i was like all right go nuts you know Who, who's on that do you know um well they announced uh um chris gethard is the host mm-hmm. which is really cool i mean you know i think he'll have a great perspective on stuff so yeah they're just like they're like putting it together now and getting it ready for the 24th so it'll be it'll be interesting 
Well, is there any chance that we'll see any any flying apparatuses over the stadium of WrestleMania this year? <laughs> because that we were waiting in the, to get to the media section really? and saw the fly, the plane <laughs> really? going over right. and that to me was my my first indication that uh, number 1 this series is coming and number 2 Viceland <laughs> is really behind this thing. Yeah, that was one of the that was amazing. Uh we, you know like I told you we had 2 weeks notice to put the show on the air and so we were scrambling together to figure out like how can we make a splash and somebody in the marketing department I can't remember I can't remember who but somebody in the marketing department in Viceland pitched the idea and it was just like wow. That's bold and yes, go. You know, and it was like amazing. How'd you get Jericho involved to be uh, the narrator? Oh, so so uh, it, well. First, it started with with Chris. It started um, it started with uh, Chavo because uh, Chavo Guerrero he was he was like the first person I talked to you about doing a, a, a Benoit episode, and um, and then I expressed because of Jericho's amazing podcasts on the subject, mm-hmm. it was like you know wh- what do I have to do to get to Chris basically, and Chavo hooked it up in a big way, and uh, and then and 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 uh, we went down to Tampa and we did the interview with Chris, and then it was basically just like you know like you know we 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 essentially needed to get a canadian to to narrate the season okay um it was a financing issue with how the series was financed mm-hmm. and so it was like who's the who what other canadian would be you know like <laughs> who would be the perfect canadian for this you know so it was the most famous canadian wrestler <laughs> yeah, yeah yeah and then it was i remember standing in in his kitchen and being like so um Chris, uh, would you uh, would you want to narrate the show? And he's like, "Yeah, I'd, I'd be really into that." And I was like, "Thank God!" And so then it, that really wasn't much more than that. <laughs> you know, wow! Like, well, there you go. Yeah. The perfect Canadian, Chris the perfect Canadian. <laughs> and we uh, we actually just recorded with him not too long ago. Our first session was with him, so it's really cool to see his voice like in there now. So this this you're continuing to edit and work on the series as it's airing. Yeah. And so I guess you'll have uh, repeated sessions with. with yes. Chris and... Yes. Yep. Yep. We have a couple more. Uh, with him, yeah. And so that's, from uh, now, it's just a race to the finish line for it's you. It's a guys. race, yeah. It's a race, yeah. Well, Evan, uh, <laughs> I, I want to thank you so much for uh, be, being able uh, not just to come on the show, but also to do it in studio. Uh, yeah, it's super mm-hmm. cool of you of to uh, to come in, and uh, we're wishing you all the best of success. You know, the first season was obviously uh, a huge undertaking and was met with tremendous reaction from oh, thank you. our listeners and viewers and oh, we're looking forward to the second season as yeah. well can't wait for you guys to check it out we will tuesday march 24th 9 eastern it's uh chris benoit two hours yeah uh, which i'm sure uh, my final question will be this is that when sure. you come out of an episode um this is something that you, you can see across wrestling is that when there is a subject that is a, a heavily controversial one mm-hmm. it, is that good for you guys when you have that kind of you know whether it's uh, an argument, whether it is something that is greatly debated, I mean, is that maybe not necessarily what you go in hoping to achieve, but coming yeah. out of it creates that much more discussion about an episode and a story. I definitely think that this episode will create uh, the the Benoit episodes. I think will create a lot of conversation, which I think is good. I think that uh, for the most part, it's been kind of this thing to, that we shouldn't talk about, and I do think because it's focused more on the people that this affected the most or not the most, but like, you know, like a lot of these people were really affected by the story. And, and I think for them to have the opportunity and the platform to talk about it, I think it gives us like a way to understand it rather than just like distance ourselves from it, you know? Mm -hmm. So I, I mean, yeah, you know, we, we didn't enter into it because it was necessarily controversial or because it would provoke that sort of reaction. It, it, it really was more just like, you know, that, that, that these people kind of needed to talk about it and, you know, and felt like they really wanted to finally, 
like uh, share their their side and their perspective after being told not to for so long. I think it's a subject people want to see addressed, you know, tasteful. And that's something that wrestling hasn't always been great with. But me, this idea that it's just something we don't talk about, it's very much like just absorbing this WWE doctrine that it does not really apply to the real world. This is a story (laughs) that a lot can be learned from, a lot can be discussed, especially with the... um, with the removal of time and right. more perspective on it this many years later. Right, well. right, right. Yeah. And I, I think that that was achieved in a lot, like hearing, you know, Jericho talk about it and Sander talk about it, you know, years now after the fact, I think that's, that's the step in the right direction for where it should go. You know? Well, we'd, uh, we'd love to chat with you maybe, uh, closer to the end of the end of the season, Let's get, do it. get some of your thoughts. So, yeah. uh, th- thank you so much for, uh, for popping by again. All right. Yeah. So, thank you, you. Go, everyone. All Evan right. Husney. The executive producer of Dark Side of the Ring, uh, <laughs> Mr. Ting is going to uh, take you up. And, okay, uh, uh, cool. This is our first time we've had it. We've had a live uh, shift here, uh, mid-show. <laughs> All right, I got to get back to work. Guys. All right, thank All right. You very All much. Right. All right, thanks everyone. See ya. All right. Uh, Once again, everyone, we're going to be opening up the phone lines uh, later on in the show. So if you do want to give us a call, myself and Wei will be chatting with you. 732-800-4423 is the number to call. You can also uh, Skype in by simply searching for Post Wrestling. We're also going to go over NXT from last night that featured not one, but two steel cage matches. I believe Brandon Davies' uh, show title was... uh, Two cages are better than one. I would say maybe on Wednesday, zero cages were better than two or even one uh, as well. Ratings should be coming in in about 40 minutes time. So we will look over that to see what the uh, the post-revolution effect had on AEW Dynamite from Wednesday night. And we can also go into some of the news items. Uh, one uh, item coming out of uh, WWE today is that we're going to see Steve Austin returning on the March 16th episode of Raw. Um in the lead up to WrestleMania. And then that same night, they're going to be debuting a new edition of the Broken Skull Sessions with the aforementioned Bret the Hitman Hart, who we were just chatting about. So that should be um, Bret Hart. He is always extremely candid and extremely honest. And I think that's what you can crave out of a guest. And I think Bret Hart um, and Austin, what I enjoy most about those interview shows is the rapport that Austin has with his guest and therefore allows the guests to really let their guard down and immediately um, uh, really kind of open up uh, with Steve. I'm going to try something here to uh, to take a phone call and caller, you are on the air. Who are we chatting with? All right, we'll call us back. I feel that the uh, the fader may be down and uh, it's over there, so we're not going to get too crazy here. Um, but yes, yeah, so that will be coming up on March the 16th uh, with Steve Austin chatting with Bret Hart and Austin appearing on Raw. Seamless way. <laughs> I tried to take a call and uh, I believe the volume was work. down, so oh, I, I tried. I, I got way too ambitious while you were gone and never again. So uh, 60 seconds without way. I totally fall apart. But um, <laughs> call us back, everybody. We're, uh, yes. Hey, that, that was great. It was, it was awesome to, to get that level of insight from, from Yeah, him. super informative. And it, yeah. was, uh, it was really great of him to uh, come on over here to mm-hmm. uh, the post office. I always, I, I so much prefer the in-studio interview as opposed to the phone slash Skype. It's just, uh, just comes across. It's true. Better. It's true. It feels a little bit different, but, uh, we prefer Skype, of course, when it comes to talking to all of you. And- oh, if, if anyone's here in town, you can, well, I'm not going to invite everybody over, but nonetheless, uh, do you want to take a call? Phone calls for the rest of the show. We'll talk about a bit of news as well. Oh, so I want to chat about NXT as well. Phone lines are open. Uh, please, uh, call in right now. We go to John, John, who's on the line. What's on your mind? Uh, First of all, I'm so happy to be uh, calling. I'm a f- 
long time listener, first time caller. Yeah. A big fan of you guys since the law days. Oh, thanks. Wow. Thank you. A long time listener. Thank you. You're you're one of your your podcasts gets me through my eight hour night cruise shifts. So thank you for that. Wow, what do you do? I work at Loblaws. I'm the gross I'm a night crew manager. All right. Oh, all right. Well, from the law to Loblaws. What how far we've come. <laughs> <laughs> what's what's on uh, your mind though? Well, first of all, I love Dark Side season one, so I'm looking forward to season two. And one of my friends was actually in that show. Uh, he played like during the acting scenes of the sh- uh, of the the Shawn Michaels uh, Montreal Screwjob episode. What's his name? Chris Chambers. Oh, okay. oh, okay, Chris Chambers. Yeah, local uh, local wrestler. Yeah, he's been my friend since 20 years. I actually work for him. He runs a he runs Loblaws? a wrestling promotion. Hmm. No, he doesn't run the Law Blows. No, no, no. He runs uh, Super Kick Wrestling, which yep. is uh, with Ashley indie wrestling here in Toronto. Yep. And uh, I commentate for him, actually. So I have to give a shout-out for Super Kick Wrestling. If you guys are, for all you Toronto fans, come check us out. It's a really good wrestling company. Mm-hmm. Definitely. A- anything uh, else, John? Yeah. Uh, after WrestleMania, what do you see Brock Lesnar doing? Because I kind of think he ran through like everyone on the roster. I mean, I would like to see him do like Keith Lee and uh, next, and maybe well, Matt Riddle. Yeah, I mean, this is a assuming. Uh, well, I, I I guess whether or not he has the belt, I, he'll probably have some sort of program coming up. Um, what do you see, John? Uh I think he should always go into Mania as champions because I think it makes his matches bigger when he, when the title's on the line, and it's a good way to get guys over if they beat him at mania for the titles so because i don't i'm really over the fact of him going into mania without a title match so i kind of want to see him every year going to mania with the title and then losing it to a guy and putting that guy over right like i I wouldn't mind next year him and keith lee a main event like that would be kind of epic yeah who knows at this point a year out you know do you uh do you think drew beats him this uh i I think i think i think so Go ahead, John. After Monday night, I think they established Drew's like, like he did like three Claremore kicks to Brock Lesnar, and I, I love that. I mean, I I think he's he's gonna go over and at Mania. All Certainly. Right. Thank you so much for the call, John. Uh, thank you very much. Um, we've also got this Friday on SmackDown. They have announced Kevin Nash, Scott Hall, and Sean Waltman appearing on Moment of Bliss. That will be. <laughs> I don't know what to think. I'm excited uh, to hear your solo review this weekend. Oh my goodness! Um, those three on a moment of bliss. I just well, you maybe I, they'll all have coffee together. It'll it'll be a very different Nash Hall and Waltman uh, type of interview. I feel no no Hogan, no Hogan, no. Well, it's part of the Hall of Fame nah, induction. You know, I guess Hogan did his bit with uh with Bray, and mm-hmm. that was it. Hey, we go back to the phone lines. Hansi on the air. What's up? What's going on? Yo, Paul, yo, Paul, like, I was the first guy you picked up on. I didn't realize you couldn't hear me. So I thought you'd go, oh, it's Hansy. Fuck that. Talk to you later. So <laughs> uh, like, you, you always think so little of uh, our opinion of you, Hansi. I mean, we take your call every week. No, no, I know, I know, I know. But I didn't realize, because it's on delay on, on, on the thing, right? So I didn't even hear that you couldn't even hear. So I was like, what the hell did I do? So I was like freaking out for a minute. But it's all good, though. It was, it was just really funny, though. I, I thought I'd bring it up, you know what I mean? I'm just joking around. But Well, what, um, what subject did you get uh, halfway into before you realized you weren't on the line with us? Um. Well, no, I the topic that I wanted, I just like 
quick quick uh, topic that I wanted to discuss. Uh, first, like I uh, I want to say the Jake the Snake promo was really really good. Like that was like like uh, I can't wait till him and Arn Anderson battle it out. And even Arn Anderson even had a rebuttal yes. in like the co- coach's corner, which was really amazing. So that's already hyping me up. But that was a really good promo. Um, I saw the sit down with Morrow and Gargano, and I, listen, I wrote this on Twitter, right? That like, Gar- like even though Morrow did well in that sit down interview, like I like the way he handled himself. Gargano's acting is coming across like community theater, like some r- a rural guy, that, like just figuring out how city tough guys talk. Like I'm not really buying into Gargano's heel persona, but uh, the question, I, but the question I want to leave you guys with, whatever, is I wanted to get your guys' thoughts on if you guys saw the ruthless aggression era of uh, Brock Lesnar. I thought that was probably the uh, best episode they did, and the reason why I say that is because. I mean, maybe it's just like going back into that time and seeing how like fearless they were with going, hey, you know what? We're going to push Brock Lesnar. Like within like within the first couple of months of his career, he already has victories over Ric Flair, Hulk Hogan, The Rock and The Undertaker. And it's like, wow, like I never seen this guy. Like I, I forgot how much they pushed this guy without any fear of like backlash. Like, and I wonder how, how come they just don't do that as much now. Like they'll be like push and stop, push and stop. And it feels like we'll never see a Brock Lesnar type push again like that. And I, that's all I wanted to get your thoughts on. That's cool. I'm, I'm anyways. Okay. You've left a lot of, uh, for us to discuss. So thanks as always, Hansi. Thank you, Hansi. <laughs> Take it easy, man. Uh, number one, on the Johnny Gargano front, I totally agreed during the first half of that segment that Gargano's acting to me, it was just so over the top that I, I just felt it was like silly. Um, I really like Moro in in that role. Mm-hmm. And I did feel by the end of it, I thought Gargano kind of felt uh, found his groove when he was like confronting Moro. And overall, I thought the segment worked, but I completely agreed with the first portion of that of Gargano, just like the over acting, the like standing up from his chair. It was just a little too cliche for me, especially when we saw such a um, drastic difference the week prior on Dynamite. Yes, yes. Uh, I don't disagree either. I mean, I, I think I really enjoyed the attempt and I think they got into like sort of like a realm that can be excellent for professional wrestling storytelling. But my problem with it was that it never really got to the point. You know, he kept trying to say, Moral, you know what's up. You know what, you know why, you know why. And then at the end, it was more like, you don't know why, you don't understand. And- well, his point, he, the point he did bring up in it was that Moral, this guy who I showed up for your documentary screening for when no one else did, mm-hmm. I felt we had a relationship and I didn't even get the benefit of the doubt from you when you labeled me Johnny Turncoat without ever talking to me about what my reasons were. You just instantly turned your back on me so, and called me a turncoat. So you just lined that out, I think, a lot better than it came across in the interview because I think in the interview it just felt like he, it was too word. The character there was, was way too much was dialogue a, for Gargano instead of just um, simplifying what the message should have been. You could tell it was like very much. It seemed like an improvised type of thing um, with like maybe at least loose bullet points. But I felt like um, maybe he was so caught up on like trying to emote. Rather than properly de- delivering, I think the story that by the end to me that kind of got a little bit lost. Even though I think the emotion was certainly there, and one of the only times we've seen Moro put in an angle, yeah, as well. Yeah. Very effective though um, to have Moro in that light. Um, Brock Lesnar ruthless aggression. Okay, it was. It's funny that we just did the interview. We did. I I did watch it, and I was more so just 
found it like obviously if you're doing a ruthless aggression series uh, an episode on brock lesnar would be like he was a major part of that period for a 45 50 minute documentary and they they were not even allowed to interview Brock. Like, Brock would not be interviewed for it. Yeah. That was amazing to me that... And granted, I'm sure Heyman was probably a better speaker for Lesnar. But you so much wanted to hear from Lesnar in this. And they clearly did not have Lesnar to work with. And it's it's something that... Sometimes I feel documentaries can be enhanced by what you can't work with. That you have to work as a contingency. That you get more creative ideas. WWE is never in that spot where they are lacking when it comes to talking heads, availability, footage. And this was one case where they had to work around no updated Brock interview to tell a Brock Lesnar story. It's true. At the same time, I didn't really miss it because I know how Brock Lesnar can be in an interview. And I don't know how much more information you're going to get. Like, I don't think he would be a cooperative. His firsthand experience. Yeah, it would be in an ideal scenario where he would be, you know, reflective on that time period. I I think it would have enhanced it, but they did not have Brock to work with. Yeah, but I I enjoyed it. I mean, as as with all these ruthless ruthless aggression things, like I watch, I just watch it as entertainment. I thought it told like a really interesting narrative of a guy who was insanely talented and like Hansi said, got got a push that was incredibly unusual for somebody that new. And I would say played the character so well that he, I think, absolutely deserved it. But um, got sick of the the road life, got sick of, you know, the life of being a champion and wanted something different. And I think it really is interesting to think about how, as Heyman said at the beginning of the, the thing, that whole period was only two years. You know, he was only in the WWE for two years. And he left that big of a mark to the point now where, I mean, look look at what, what he's become. Yeah, they they didn't dive into the lawsuit that they had or the New Japan stuff. It was it was quite the um the the bow on top the at New the Japan end of it. Stuff. It was pretty much like he left yeah. WWE, tried out, almost made the Vikings, uh, and then did some other stuff in <laughs> MMA, and then he came home, and yeah. they pretty much summed up uh, an eight year period in about four minutes. Well, it is an hour long documentary. Uh, I guess, I guess so. All right, back to the phone lines. Hello, caller. What's going on? Hey, how are you, man? Oh, jeez. Quick. <laughs> hey, it's a shame about the whole Brock Lesnar thing, because I, mean, I don't know if you saw the video of him at the uh, at the University of Minnesota, and he was like a baby face, and all those kids were falling all over him. Uh, he he, he could be such an endearing figure, uh, especially in the right circumstances. Uh, did you yeah. see that? Or no, or no. I, didn't, I didn't catch that clip, no. Oh, it's, it's tremendous. It was like if Hogan was at the tape parade for WCW. All, it was, it was, it was huh. cra- it, I never... I never thought I'd see Brock Lesnar in a baby paced format like that, but it was pretty cool. Uh, real quick, John, uh, what are your thoughts on the – I'm getting the shepherd's hook here. I can feel it gnawing in my back. Uh, uh, UFC 248 with uh, Wei Li Zhang. I mean, that chick is impressive, man. That I, I never heard her anyone kick pads like that. Like, she, she hits like a dude, man. I think Joanna's in trouble. What do you, what do you, what do you think about that? Um, I, I think this is a very important fight for Zhang. I think that um, – you know – Jacek is a significant test for her that I think is ultimately going to showcase, like, is Zhang going to be the, this impressive, long-reigning champion? I think if she beats Jacek, uh, she is going to explode in terms of popularity after this fight. But it's, it's a very tough fight. Um, I, I'm having a really hard time, you know, um, imagining how this fight goes. Like, the, the fight with Jessica Andrade, it was just, it was so short. We know that she has that, that power, but... Uh, but I, I also question, like, Yen Jacek uh, cutting down to this weight again. Is there going to be any problems in the, in the 
over the next uh, 24 hours in terms of the weight cut as well. Like, this is a very, very tough fight for Zhang to be having her first title defense against. But um, and then you got oh. yeah, go ahead. And then you got Marco Madsen too. He's that guy's impressive too. A former yeah, Olympic this wrestler. is a, a Olympic silver medalist. He he's fighting on the prelims as well. Um, you know, I, I don't think this is the deepest card in UFC history, but I mean, Sean O'Malley is back after it's been two years since this guy fought last as well. That there, there's some interesting Austrian. stories on the undercard here, but I think you know most of the attention is on those those two title fights. That I'm looking forward to both the championship fights. Yeah, it should be a good show. I can't wait. Uh, that's all I got. I'm out of here. Brandon, oh, post wrestling Hall of Famer, I'm very obedient. Brandon from New Jersey. I, I, I think I spooked him with the quick. I was, oh, I was only kidding around. Uh, thank you uh, for the call, and uh, we're, we're going to continue to take phone lines all the way until we get our uh, AEW NXT numbers. Do you want to chat a bit about NXT beyond sure. the Gargano segment? Uh, we had two steel cage matches. The first one, Tegan Knox and Dakota Kai. Um, I, I I watched the. Maybe it is also the fact that we are coming off that that Cody Wardlow match but I thought like these two cage matches it was that first match I was gonna say this the other night even before I watched this match that one of my my biggest pet peeves now is the dramatic facial reaction after the near fall the oh I'm so shocked that they kicked out and dude uh not Dakota Kai Tegan Tegan Knox did this thing on top of that she did my, my, like, drops down Kai, and she's just standing on top, and she's got to stare down. What have I done? And it was just, to me, and then we had Raquel Gonzalez get involved in all of this. It's like, what, in in the WWE format, the, the cage match, at one time, it was the blow-off because you knew you were getting a clean finish, and this was going to be a violent match. Well, we, we no longer are getting clean finishes in them. And you can't really produce that violent of a match. It's containing them. So I, I think that, you know, these two examples, like, I, I wasn't blown away by the first cage match. And then the second one, I didn't understand that anything at all. Of Velveteen Dream. Shoving allowing. out Roderick Strong, and somehow he's going to leapfrog to get the championship match. Like, that, yeah. that would have been like Roman Reigns shoving King Corbin out, and then the next night challenging Goldberg for the title. Oh, completely negates, I think, uh, wins and losses. You know, the importance of winning that cage match in order to get to a title. Like, this strong um, dream feud sucks. It, it is certainly, I think, a bit of a, a disappointment. Um I don't disagree that at at one point I think ideally a cage match is reserved for that type of I don't know severity, but I haven't really come to expect that level uh, from a WWE produced cage match in quite some time. To me, it's just a place that people can jump off of, or you know, um, I don't know, do some sort of like wacky finish. And I think if you're strictly just watching for high spots of people falling off of the top of the cage. I think he would have been decently satisfied with Tegan Knox versus Dakota Kai. You know, you saw a number of big bumps. I thought the end was creative. Uh, but if you're certainly looking at it from maybe a storyline perspective, why is the baby face continually trying to escape? You know, what sort of punishment is that dealing? Um, uh, and, you know, why? yeah, like I could definitely... And to me, both matches, they were just examples of why people don't care about cage matches in WWE. It's not a gimmick that enhances a match. It it it's a detriment to me. I think it takes away. Um, uh, I don't know. You're not getting any finality to it. It's it's not significant. It's like how what's the most creative way we can get out of this? And the the dream strong finish. I, it's just what I hate so much about. Okay, Velveteen Dream is the guy we're going with, but we can't let him beat someone. Imagine if they had that mentality that 
John Moxley is winning the title in four weeks. So that means we can just have at it with John Moxley. We can beat him like a drum because he's getting the title at the end of it. And we just, we don't want to hurt anybody. So we're going to have him lose knowing that he's going to win at the end. Instead, they said, no, John Moxley's beating everybody leading into this pay-per-view. He is going to be red hot before he challenges. Like, uh, yeah, like I, Velveteen Dream j- couldn't just win this match, vanquish this feud, and he sets his sights on Adam Cole. Like, let's give everything to Velveteen Dream if he is our challenger. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, uh, it seems it seemed to me like they didn't even care so much about the finish of the match. Like, it meant who, nothing. Who won or lost? Uh, as much as it was, I think their clever way of trying to um, get to Velveteen Dream versus Adam Cole. If you watched everything from the finish onward and nothing else. You would just have assumed Velveteen Dream had won that match. He's posing on the top of the cage with the NXT title. Yeah. I don't know. I just I just thought it was way too um, convoluted um, to try and just come up with some clever way to get out of these matches instead of delivering just a winner and a loser. Any other? On NXT, um, what else do we have? We had, you know what? They are really fast-tracking Austin Theory. Instead of doing the long baby face that's kind of just this... Like John Cena, 2002, they flipped him heel already. And he seems very comfortable in that skin already mm-hmm. uh, with Isaiah Scott. And they, they had him beat Scott as well. So it seems like they're very much putting him on in the fast lane. Yeah. After like, you know, essentially being sort of like the, the, the whipping boy for Tommaso Ciampa, mm-hmm. turning him around like this. And got his yeah, arm snapped right before winning. Mm-hmm. That was a little abrupt. I thought. Yeah. He came back. He won it with the, the one-armed the ATL. Yes. Yeah. Um, and then uh, Chelsea Green qualifies for the ladder match at, at TakeOver. That was notable. I think the best thing on the show was, um, you know, I enjoyed the sit-down. I, I didn't love it um, because of the first por- portion of it with Gargano. Um, I really liked Undisputed Era versus... Uh, oh, Orny Lorcan and Danny Burch. That, that was good, the tag. Good match. And they're doing the Broserweights against O'Reilly and Fish next week in a rematch, as well as Keith Lee and Cameron Grimes. And Grimes got a ton of heat from the crowd at Full Sail. He did. So mm-hmm. that should be a very good match between those two next yeah. week. So that's what they kind of set up. Um, I'm not loving NXT right now. It's it's a solid show, in my opinion. I wouldn't say it's a solid show right now. I mean, you can have a problem with, I think, some of the booking. I think it's still a pretty solid show. What's the hottest feud right now in NXT? Hottest feud right now in NXT. What's the big feud that you want to see culminate? Um, I guess... Uh... What's going on right now with um, Champa Gargano is kind of their big thing. Yeah, I, I'm I'm excited for Walter versus Balor if you count that as an NXT feud. They're uh, doing the NXT UK tapings this weekend, and Finn Balor's advertised for them and pretty much spelled it out on Wednesday that he's going to be showing up there. Mm-hmm. So I guess the question is, Balor and Walter, do you do some kind of mix? Do you do that match at Takeover in Tampa? Do you wait for Dublin? Um, I think it's it would be a Dublin match. Pretty clear. Or do you do it at uh, Tampa and then Balor comes back for a match in Dublin three weeks later? You can have some sort of integration. I, I would sure. say Balor and Walter should be involved in some form or fashion on both shows. Mm-hmm. So, um, yeah, that's uh, coming up this week. So we'll see what, what is happening next with uh, Finn Balor. Let's go back to the phone lines. Neil, you're on the air. What's going on? Hey, guys. How's it going? Um, can we just make a couple of really quick points first before I ask a question? Um, okay. First, uh, really enjoyed the first series of Dark Side of the Ring, and I'm really looking forward to the new run, all the more so after hearing you talk about it with Evan. That was a great chat. Thank you. Um, it took a while to reach um, 
Vice, the Vice UK channel. So I heard your weekly reviews of those episodes before I got to see them. So, I mean, I knew it was going to be very good from what you guys had said. Uh, Way, really enjoyed your rendition of the Spider Cage song on Rewind Raw. Good work, Andrew, from Cape Breton on those lyrics. But you, you did them justice. But here, here and the main point is, John, I'm not really a huge MMA fan, but um, it's kind of the key to my main point this week. I don't always listen to the MMA shows, forgive me. Um, but I did listen to the preview of UFC 248 with Cody. Um, and it was a really great listen. I got hooked in at the beginning by the Tyson Fury chat, because that's something I do know a little bit about. And ended up uh, listening to the to the whole show. So uh, really excellent. And um, I'm going to ask um, a silly question, John, because uh, you, you are the all-knowing one on these things. Did you know that the UFC events are not pay-per-view in the UK? BT Sport acquired the rights. And although it's a pay channel, there's no extra fee. There's no charge at all even for the McGregor, even for the really big events. So UFC 248, like all the UFC events, will just be on at 3 a.m., the main card anyway, middle of the night this Saturday. Well, there you go. You're... Yeah. I, I, I had thought that they, they were going to switch that. Was that not something that was about to be switched and then didn't? Was that the case? Possibly, possibly because I'm far, from a, I'm far from an expert on that, but certainly over the past year or so, um, all of the UFC events, including the, the larger ones, have, have just been on the BT Sport regular channel. Okay. Uh, but, and it, that's what got me thinking. You know, WWE might be looking to sell the rights to their pay-per-views to a provider that might do the same thing. If Netflix or Amazon Prime Video bought those events but didn't charge their subscribers something extra i'd be a happy camper because i've got both of those services already it seems a neater option as well than looking to different streaming services in every country because we don't have a espn over here and i don't know what the situation is in canada to try and splinter those rights across all of those territories would seem to be a hard proposition particularly in one financial quarter well, if it's ESPN Plus, I mean, they're they're certainly going to be limited by uh, territorial rights because, uh, I mean, ESPN Plus isn't available in Canada. I, I think mm. in that case, you would see that the regions that don't have ESPN Plus, it would just stay status quo with how you're getting your pay-per-views. And for many, that would mean the WWE Network um, if it's something larger. And I really don't see Netflix being um, a place that would be going after WWE pay-per-views. Like, I don't know mm. what they would necessarily gain from that um, uh, unless they significantly uh, overbid everyone else. But if you're looking at, at a service that is, uh, you know, available in so many more geographical regions, uh, then it would be something that it's going to cause a big disruption in, in terms of how they're distributing these because of pre-existing deals as well. So that's, that's a big focus of this. And, you know, the, the time is ticking down of this, first quarter uh, announcement yeah. that Vince McMahon had laid out as a, as a potential release date uh, as we're, you know, exactly a month out from WrestleMania, because if I was one of these services and I was about to commit so much to acquiring the rights to these pay-per-views, I would be adamant about starting it with WrestleMania and not with sure. um, whatever the uh, next pay-per-view is. Uh, they just announced is it like backlash or whatever the next pay-per-view is. Yeah, I guess it'll be backlash, won't it? Um, yeah, so it's interesting, though. Yeah, and there is some precedent with Amazon Prime. They could they cover um, 
at least in this and this at least in this region they have um they have the US Open tennis they have rights to um Premier League soccer so they do do live sport and they've so, dabbled into NFL as well like that seems yeah. to be one that i mean they they seem more apt to be um going into live sports than say Netflix for instance yeah and just finally and so, i'm sorry i really don't mean to take up time but just on a personal note i'm really looking forward to Meeting the both of you in uh, in Tampa because, as I let you know, I'm uh, planning all things being equal, all things being well, on uh, being over for uh, WrestleMania weekend. And um, I have to say, uh, you know, you got a question on um, Askway this month about one thing leading to another, you know, one podcast leading to another. And it genuinely was you guys announcing your live event that got me thinking, right, come on, pull, let's let's pull the trigger on um, seeing whether you can make this trip. And of course, it's the post-wrestling, uh, because I'll be going solo, it's the post-wrestling f- family that's that's going to help, you know, because I'll be meeting up with Davey, MJ, Brandon from New Jersey. Oh, wow. John Ceno Evil. <laughs> you know, there's, a, there's quite a few of the, of the folks have managed to get in touch with to be to to meet up with so i'm just i'm just praying everything uh works out because as you might have heard this weekend there's 16 carat tournament tournament in germany has been already hit by various things um alex shelley isn't going because he has a job as a caregiver with um people with compromised immune sy- uh, systems um post-wrestling's own Jamesy uh, for similar reasons because of his job might have to self-isolate if he came uh, went to Germany and came back so he had to, he tweeted out there tonight that he uh, isn't going um, and in fact a regional airline collapsed last night in, in the UK because it was in financial trouble anyway but um, people are not flying at the moment so that seemed to precipitate just to, you know, so I've got yeah. both fingers on both, uh, you know, I've got both ha- fingers on both hands crossed that uh, things will go ahead. Yeah, it's it's something we're, we're all following very closely. So um, we'll, we'll, we'll hope for the best, of course. Thank you, Neil. Thanks, guys. Take care. Okay, we have the ratings in from Wednesday night and AEW. Uh, last week did 865,000 viewers. They were up to 906 this week. While NXT did 717 last week, they were up uh, pretty much virtually identical. This week they did 718,000 viewers. AEW was fifth for the night on cable with a .35 among 18 to 49. And NXT uh, did the exact same number they did last week in that demo, a .23. So um, AEW back over 900,000, which they had not been since um, those string of shows uh, back in uh, February 5th was the last time they were over 900. So um, receiving a bit of a pay-per-view bump, not a, not a huge one, up from 865 last week. Coming off the pay-per-view, yeah. Yeah, uh, cool. Sounds good. Back uh, to the phone lines. Let's continue. Caller, you're on the air. What's up? Hey, it's MJ. It's a little loud. You hear me all right? Of yep. course, MJ. We're used gotcha. to it. <laughs> um, I wanted to call to revisit the Dark Order. Okay. And uh, whether or not anyone's opinions have changed on the Dark Order now that Matt Hardy, uh, the being the elite, the free the elite, the stuff they're doing together, uh, whether or not that's made you change your opinions. It's real loud. I'll talk to you guys later. Thanks, MJ. Thanks, MJ. Well, we haven't seen the whole storyline play through yet. I think, I think people's opinion has um, – it's not the dominating portion of the show, which 
I think it really hit its low point that December 18th show where they closed the show with the Dark Order laying out the elite and it was gr- it was greatly rejected and I think they they realized that that this was a direction that people I think they'll the Dark Order, I think if you have a compelling story and building it around a mystery is an easy way to hook people and get their imagination going as to who the Exalted One will be. Um, it's contingent on the reveal, done done well. But then from there, it's, okay, what's the next step? Now we don't have the surprise to build people to. Now we have to see the actual substance of this group. And will people take to this group as a main event act? Do they belong in a main event position? Because, you know, the argument of just going back to more meat and potatoes like hot wrestling um compelling promos has worked and that's been the story of AEW in 2020 where it seems um a lot more positivity towards the shows than those couple that they had in you know especially in December where i think a lot of people were critiquing as they were getting away from the product they wanted out of dynamite i think the groups always missed like this kind of headlining leader you know, somebody who is uh, who could be seen in a main event scene, similar on the level of something somebody like a Chris Jericho leading an inner circle, and whether or not it's Matt Hardy, um, I think it's it's just it was just kind of begging for that sort of credibility that it didn't have prior to it with just the Super Smash Brothers. So, you know, we haven't seen the end of it yet. So who knows? They could swerve us at the end and have Matt not be a part of the Dark Order and be part of something else. I don't know, but maybe it's a little bit too early to say. Uh, but it's certainly you know over the past several months been a lot more interesting than uh prior yeah i think that they they've realized that but now they're at a point where i think you have to uh, put some more focus on the dark order so we'll see where that goes but back to the phone lines hello caller you're up what's up hey guys paul from new jersey hi paul hey paul hey so just so i heard it right i'm understand i'm of the understanding that for the dark side of the ring they are doing a dino bravo yes yes that's part of this season's uh, episodes um, I'm actually really excited for that one because, I mean, I don't know about you guys, but obviously, like, wrestling does have the history of, like, any other entertainment business, a lot of death and a lot of early death. Um, that was, like, the first time, I think it was in, what, 1993, where I was kind of uh, just a fan, didn't really know any of that side of it. And then seeing that come up on the news and having, like, that be my first introduction, like, wow, like, of, of that story. So I, I think that's really one that gets lost in history. So I'm really excited for that one. But um, to my question, I wanted to. I know you guys uh, were talking about um, the main event between Velveteen and Roddy Strong on NXT. I, I don't. I, I may have missed it um, with uh, Tegan Knox and Dakota Kai. But just between the, the finishes, I, I, this company seems to really kill the cage cell gimmick for me. And I just, I wanted to enjoy it last night, but I was just annoyed by not only the main event, but even. I, um, knowing that Raquel Gonzalez is going to interfere, it was just so telegraphed and. Um, lastly, when you see a swerve like with what Jericho did last night, I mean, I bit as much as anyone else did. So I just, uh, what is the disconnect and are they just using these gimmicks for the sake of using gimmicks? I mean, that's what Wednesday night felt like me with, with these cage matches. I mean, the, the, the point should be, I mean, like we have the direct comparison of how AEW announced their cage match a month in advance and promoted it as such. Like this is our first cage match and it was going to provide a winner and a loser. And, you know, it's it's not um, so much, you know, I'm just uh, picking on these two matches from Wednesday night, but just a larger issue you have is that when you have the big match, it almost seems like it is this exercise that we have to perform of how do we get ourselves out of it. Uh, this week, we would have seen Tetsuya Naito and Hiromu Takahashi in New Japan. And 
a WWE mindset would be, okay, we have two champions. We can't beat either of these guys. So how do we get out of this match versus the mentality that I think everyone watching that show would have believed we're getting a winner. We're getting a loser. It's not how do we get out of this match because we don't want to hurt either guy. And I think sometimes you, you lose so much when that's your primary focus of not hurting anyone versus we're picking a guy that's going to win a guy that's going to lose or vice versa, a woman and, and, putting all that heat on the winner so that your audience knows I can invest in this because I'm going to invest my time in this and I'm going to get an answer to this question that they're going to build up for hopefully several weeks. I I completely agree. I think, look, I, any of these companies these days have all amazing athletes, amazing wrestlers. I mean, people who wrestled in college, they have Olympians. I think at the end of the day, it comes down to the story. And I just think AEW is really focused on that. And hey, they don't, they don't, nobody hits every time, but I just think WWE is really lost with the creative. And I think NXT is in a little bit of a slump. So yeah, but anyway, that's my call guys. Thanks. Thanks a lot, Paul. Thanks, Paul. Appreciate the call. Um, yeah. And, um, the other thing we didn't mention, they did the, uh, the Rhea Ripley piece where they took her to Raymond James stadium and we got some, some, maybe not so subtle, uh, Tampa Bay Vipers, I think, are the name, the yes, XFL team. I mean, right. those were uh, discreet, weren't they? Is that where they play? Um, I guess so. Um, hmm. They had, do they play at Raymond? That's a huge stadium for the XFL sure. team to play at. Um, yeah, but uh, just doing kind of a feature on Rhea Ripley and how she came into NXT and immediately drew comparisons to Charlotte. And it's been her, she has tried actively to disassociate herself with that comparison and i i like the promo from from ria yeah yeah it felt real felt grounded and, and uh you know seems like this is building up to be a big big moment for her debuting at wrestlemania so yeah who yeah uh, they they do play at uh raymond james stadium the uh the tampa bay vipers as you look towards that uh who do you think calls that match at wrestlemania do you think it is the raw announced team or do you think that the nxt I mean, team gets moral going to be at doing these co-branded shows he i mean the last one was well he wasn't there at the the rumble um nor was there like an nxt specific match on the rumble uh i don't know that's that's really a question for i think uh, i would think after the survivor series that's probably something they're going to avoid but yeah i mean it's a question worth like that's being presented as like the nxt match on the show even though it's it's also charlotte you know on the show so i imagine maybe it would be uh Phillips, right? Yes, yeah. That's the yeah. That is what it could be. That's mm-hmm. a long show. It's a long show, even when you have two commentary teams to uh, switch back and forth to as they uh, go through their uh, their marathon of matches. A month outway, one month to go. Oh my goodness! Till WrestleMania. I know, I know. It's um, it it's just creeping up. Um, any any other um news items you want to discuss not really is there anything else in the news i mean today has been relatively quiet we got the uh the austin news for for raw in a couple of weeks um lance archer was not at the show on wednesday night uh dave Meltzer reported it was some creative change that they had mm-hmm. so i guess you would definitely look at him as a potential candidate as jake's guy um, yep. depending on when this uh when this came together with Jake Roberts, I did enjoy Arn Anderson's uh, rebuttal that he had on his, I haven't seen it. Yet. He's been doing these weekly interview segments uh, called coach's corner. So maybe he's replaced Don Cherry. Hmm. Um, and just cut like a great 90 second promo on Jake Roberts. I'm not a one trick uh, pony. I'm a Clydesdale and I look forward to seeing you eye to eye. I mean, just excellent. And this guy is just, 
He's great. He's great. You have why is that stuff online and not? I know TV? it's. I mean, it's kind of his reaction to whatever happens on the show. But I look at. You know, Arn, it's like he hasn't really got to cut a promo on TV yet. No. Um, you know, Jake had the big promo last night. Tully, I think, is vastly underutilized. It's like mm-hmm. if these guys are there, I want to I want to hear from these guys. I'm not saying every week. I know time is is limited, yep. but he to me is uh, like th- those are just they're great talkers. And I think people, they um, they, they could significantly help people, mm-hmm. different mm-hmm. guys that they're uh, attached with. We can uh, we can also mention. Uh, do we have a call? No, we don't. We don't. Um, coming up but. this uh, in the next couple of days on Friday night, uh, you're going to be solo. Rewind yes. to SmackDown. Yes, I am. I'll be talking about uh, the. It sounds like Nash Hall, uh, Hall and Waltman on uh, uh, Moment of Bliss, and I'm sure plenty of other fallout involving uh, the Fiend and John Cena, Goldberg, and all that stuff. That'll be a solo show for me this Friday night on the Post Wrestling Cafe. And Way's doing that show solo because uh, I'm going to be back on Saturday night with Phil Chair Talk. We're going to be doing a UFC 248 post show that everyone can listen into after that card from Las Vegas. Sunday, New Thunderstruck with uh, WH Park as uh, we will be back Sunday night, Way and I, with the Elimination Chamber post show. It does not feel like we have a pay-per-view coming up because it's only now at 4.15 p.m. that I remembered we have Elimination Chamber on Sunday. On Sunday, not only that... It's also the John Ball- Pollock per- birthday bash. Oh, okay, stop. Sunday night, uh, at the stroke of midnight, we ring in John Pollock's 36th year of existence. On Let, let's end the show off uh, looking at the card for, for Sunday. There's six matches announced. I guess we could see some additions on SmackDown, or they announced okay. before the show. On top, Natalia, Liv Morgan, Shayna Baszler, Asuka, uh, pending her, her wrist being okay, Ruby Riot, and Sarah Logan in the Elimination Chamber match. I mean, there's... Um, no other winner I see happening other than Shayna Baszler here. I don't think you can make any kind of argument as to who's winning this. It's going to be on them to make this a compelling match when I think everyone knows what the what the deal is. Yep. I would completely agree with that. Braun Strowman versus Shinsuke Nakamura, Cesaro, and Sami Zayn. Three-on-one handicap match for the Intercontinental title. Oh, jeez. I'm not a fan of these. Like, even with, uh, you know... Nakamura and Cesaro and Sane together. Um, I don't know. I'm never a fan of these for like your title. Um, it, it's kind of just there on this card for me. I assume Strowman retains. I don't know. I don't care. Giant interest in, in this. The Miz and Morrison defend the SmackDown tag titles against the New Day, the Usos, Heavy Machinery, Lucha House Party, which will be Grand Metalik and Lindsay Dorado and Dolph Ziggler and Robert Roode. Probably coming out of this, I... I I just see like a multi-man match for WrestleMania and this being uh, way too early for Miz and Morrison to lose the titles. And just a question of which teams are in the title hunt for WrestleMania. But this could be a very good match on its own. I don't know how much interest there is, but you have enough talent in there that you could have a really spectacular match, especially like Lucha House Party getting to do something for for once. But Mm -hmm. I mean, not not a match that's going to carry your interest into the show. Street Profits against Seth Rollins and Buddy Murphy rematch for the Raw Tag Team titles. AJ Styles and Aleister Black in a no-DQ match. And Andrade versus Umberto Carrillo for the United States title. This is a show that will happen on Sunday night. Yep. These matches will occur. These matches will end. And we will talk about them. Yeah, yeah. Um, It's it's really an an extra edition of, of TV, really. So... Um, uh, I'm sure there might be some surprise, you know, I think the biggest story would be if this ends up being one of the final WWE network pay-per-views. 
I guess there's always that possibility. I mean, if some deal is announced before WrestleMania, I guess there is that. See, the, I feel like shows of this level will continue to stay on the network because these are, I mean. You don't see big uh, dollars being spent to I can't see anybody. Chamber. I can't see an ESPN Plus trying to sell this thing on its own. It's ridiculous. But um, I think the network is always, I think, a place for these C, this is a C level show, really. Like, realistically, I don't know why this show is even existing. Like, once they knew the Saudi Arabia date was going to be where it is, like, you're not attracting any new signups for this for this show. Mm-hmm. It's almost like, let's just do the one Saudi Arabia show and then we do the build to WrestleMania. It's no one's signing up for this. You're talking about a live gate that you're doing on Sunday night. Like, that's yeah. that's pretty much the, the revenue you're generating from doing this show on, on Sunday night. It's just like, all the major stars are not booked on, like most of the major stars, mm-hmm. like when you look at that WrestleMania lineup. So anyway, that's coming up on Sunday. We'll go live immediately after the pay-per-view. That will be live for Double Double, Ice Cap, and Espresso members of the Post Wrestling Cafe. And uh, that's going to wrap things up on this edition of the Cafe Hangout. I actually started the music earlier, um, but here it is again. <laughs> oh, I'm, I should really have these headphones on, shouldn't I? No, no, no. This works out well. Like I, I can hear this this song i'll just have it on throughout the whole show well uh thanks again to uh evan husney for joining us dark side of the ring season two it returns tuesday night march 24th 9 p.m eastern time with a two-hour episode dedicated to uh, chris benoit and the murder suicide of 2007 probably going to be a very um heavily discussed episode i think Mm -hmm. revisiting that story and all of the uh, grisly details attached to it um and I'm sure you and I will be chatting about these shows each week once yes. they return for season two. So thanks again for all of you for calling in, waiting for steering the ship, and me for just sitting here and trying to take phone calls unsuccessfully. Oh, come on. I want to get some shout outs to the chat room. Hello, Kendall. Hello, Phil Chair Talk, who's in there. Whoa, hello, the Phil Chair Talk. Hello, Chris Elliott. Hello, Bruhaven, uh, MJ, Eric, all you guys, Brandon from New Jersey, Jordan Yates, Miles. Andrew McDonald, what's going on? Thank you guys for All joining the us live. In one chat room. So thank you to everybody uh, for tuning in, and we'll chat with you this weekend. Lots of wrestling coming your way, plus a UFC pay-per-view. No time to have a life. <laughs>